Chapter Nine of Mighty Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mighty Animals by Jenny Irene Mix. Chapter Nine: Some South American Rulers. During the days when elephants were the monarchs of the world, there was a pool in Nevada where some of them, and many other kinds of animals, used to go to drink. At times the ground around the edge of this pool was so soft that the feet of the animals sank into it. Sometimes the footprints thus made in the mud were quickly covered up by other mud. Slowly, through the action of the water, all the mud around the pool was turned into stone, and while this stone was being formed, the pool disappeared and so did the animals which drank from it. At Carson City, Nevada, a prison is now standing where once was this pool. Some years ago it was discovered that the stones in the prison yard were dented with impressions of foot tracks. Many persons who looked at these tracks thought that they had been made by gigantic men who wore moccasins. But now we know that these are the footprints of animals which walked over that stone when it was soft mud around the edge of the little body of water that long ago occupied the site of the prison. There are impressions in the rock which show that a deer walked down to the water's edge. In another place there is a path trodden by a mammoth. In another are deep impressions where some creature sat down, perhaps to gnaw at a bone, and even the marks of the coarse hair on this animal's body are in the rock. Then there are a few footprints showing that two animals had a struggle on this very spot. One braced himself on his heels, as if to resist the attack of the other, which stood on his toes as he struck at his foe or tried to bite him. The peculiar shape of their footprints tells us that these two fighters belonged to one of the strongest families of animals that ever lived, the family of the sloths. The real home of the sloths was in South America, but some of them wandered into North America, and this was particularly true of the species called Mylodon. The footprints of the fighting animals at Carson City seemed to have been made by Mylodons, and when they visited that pool of water they were far away from Patagonia, where most of the Mylodons lived. The only representative of the sloth family now in existence does not look much as though his ancestors were among the strongest of all the animals that ever made their homes on this earth. For the living sloth is a small, weak creature unable to travel over the ground except by crawling along on the sides of its hands and feet. So he lives in trees and travels through them by hanging downward from the branches to which he clings with his claws. When he wants to sleep, he rolls himself up until he looks like a ball, and then suspends himself from a branch, and there hangs, slumbering as comfortably as though in a nice, cozy nest. When hungry, this creature is satisfied to eat the leaves nearest him, although others, softer and juicier, are but a little distance away. This is because he is too slothful to forage around for his food. How different were his mighty ancestors, for they not only went far at times in search of a meal, but after finding it often fought hard to keep other animals from snatching it away. And it is quite possible that these two sloths, who fought by that pool in Nevada, may have been quarreling over some appetizing morsel that both wanted. But the most active food-gatherer among all the sloths was the megatherium, powerful beast. Indeed, this animal probably used more strength in securing his food than did any other animal in the world. 
When he felt hungry he started out in search of a tree for a meal. He went shambling along, as awkward a sight as one can well imagine, for his legs were short, his feet huge, and his body nearly as large as that of an elephant. Through the dense forest he made his way until he came to a tree which his instinct told him would be good to eat. Then he set to work. First he went all around the tree, throwing up the earth with his enormous front paws that ended in long, sharp claws. How the dirt must have been sent flying as the megatherium proceeded with his task! When the ground about the roots was well loosened, this beast sat down, firmly planted on his haunches and broad tail. Grasping the trunk of the tree, in his front paws, he swayed back and forth, the tree swaying with him. There must have been a loud creaking of the trunk, an agitated rustling of the leaves, until down came the big tree with a crash. And there on the ground lay the megatherium's breakfast, or dinner, or supper, as the case might be. Having worked so hard to get his meal, he probably enjoyed it all the more, and gave the choicest bits, like the tender leaves and twigs at the top, many a caressing lick with his very long and very pointed tongue. As thousands of megatheriums once lived on the American continent, many thousands of trees were laid low by them. It seems most strange that creatures possessed of such enormous strength should finally have ceased to exist. By looking at a megatherium skeleton, a good idea of his strength is gained. For then, one can see that this creature's thigh-bone was nearly three times as large around as is the thigh-bone of an elephant. The whole frame reveals muscles of extraordinary power, and the tail plainly indicates that it helped bear the weight of the megatherium when he sat down. Some of these animals made their homes as far north as North Carolina, where their bones are found in old riverbeds but for thousands of years after the gigantic sloths appeared in South America they were confined wholly to that country. This was because South America was, for a long time, an island. While it remained an island its gigantic animals ruled the country with little difficulty, but after a land connection was formed with North America, and the northern animals began to make their way into South America, there was trouble for the sloths and other big creatures, for the northern animals were, as a rule, fiercer in disposition than were the southern species. The tremendous strength and long claws of the megatherium undoubtedly made him a formidable foe even of the elephant, but as he was much more awkward on his feet than the ivory king, he surely met with defeat in many a battle which the two waged against each other. All the sloths were covered with a very thick skin on which grew coarse hair, and in addition to this protection against the attacks of enemies, the mylodons were covered all over with small bones that were sunk deep into the skin. About the only creature then living in America which could bite through this skin was the saber-toothed cat. We are told that when one of these cats attacked a mylodon he jumped on its back and sank his teeth deeper and deeper into the sloth's neck until the arteries were severed. Then down would go the big mylodon, a victory to a creature smaller but more vicious than itself. But although the mylodons were not as good fighters as were the saber-toothed cats, they long outlived them. It has been proved beyond all question that the mylodons were living after man appeared on this continent. In a cavern in Patagonia, mylodon bones have been found with the bones of men, and with these mylodon skeletons were large pieces of skin covered with greenish-brown hair. Some scientists believe that the Patagonian Indians kept the mylodons in captivity, feeding them hay and then killing them when they wanted to eat the flesh. An interesting explanation is given by these scientists regarding the reason for the mylodon living so long after the other gigantic animals of South America became extinct. 
This explanation tells us that all the southern part of South America was rather suddenly covered with water during the time of the sloths. The only animals in that part of the world which survived this flood were those that sought safety on some high section of land, and among them were a few mylodons. The animals lived on the islands thus formed until the land under the water was re-elevated and the cavern in which mylodon bones have been found with the bones of human beings is supposed to have been on one of these islands of refuge all this is only a theory but it seems a reasonable explanation regarding why some of the mylodons lived so long after all the other gigantic sloths had entirely disappeared even those strange creatures the glyptodons became extinct while the mylodons were still flourishing in many parts of south america these animals belonged to the armadillo family, and like the little living armadillos were protected by a bony shield. Only in the case of the glyptodon, this shield was of huge size. And resting on the top of his head was another shield that had the appearance of a flat hat. Although this animal was as big as an ox, and often nine feet or more in length, his legs were so short that the shield over his back reached almost to the ground, completely hiding his body except the feet, the tail, and the head which was carried very low down. The tail was made up of what have been called movable rings, and the shield, when closely examined, proves beautiful in design, for all over it are rosette-like sculptures arranged in a set pattern. The shield of the living armadillo is joined so that the animal can roll himself up and be entirely covered with it as with an armor. The glyptodon's shield had no such joints, but was constructed so solidly that it seems as though no animal which ever lived could have succeeded in injuring it. So the glyptodon carried about with him wherever he went, a valuable protection against enemies. But it may be that the monkeys then living used to tease the glyptodon by holding on to his tail, and twisting it round and round in the same way that the monkeys of South America now plague the armadillo. Glyptodon shields in almost perfect condition have been found embedded in the ground in various sections of South America. One of them was put to a very practical use by a man who was obliged to live in the forests for a time, far away from the conveniences to which he had been accustomed. He found the shield near his shack. With the help of the natives he got it out of the ground. Then he built a little addition to his shack, placed the shield in it upside down, and thereafter used it as a bathtub and a very good tub it made, too, even if it was not porcelain-lined and nickel-plated. The glyptodons came up into North America, but they do not seem to have lived farther north than Florida. At that time in the world's history, glaciers were drifting from north to south over portions of North America. When these glaciers began to move southward, the animals migrated in the same direction, to escape the extreme cold. It was after the ice had drifted north again that the sloths and other South American animals came into North America. Then, once more, the ice began to drift south, and many animals again journeyed into South America, where the climate was warmer. It took many thousands of years for all these changes in climate to occur, and when animals shifted their homes from South America to North America, they may have lived north for many hundreds of years before they felt the effects of the slowly approaching ice. After the last retreat of the ice northward, the mastodon still lived on in the northeastern part of the United States. And about this time, the horse, which for thousands of years had been developing in this country, migrated to some other country, although just where he went we do not know. Nor were there ever any other horses in America until they were brought here by the Spaniards. 
As the centuries rolled by, all the gigantic animals we have been learning about completely disappeared from the face of the earth, and man at last became the ruler of the world. Just how long he has now ruled we do not know, but some scientists think that human beings have lived on this earth only about fifty thousand years. Before this the mammals were in power for three million years or more, and before them was the reign of the reptiles, which lasted fully seven million years. And then, before the age of the reptiles, were other forms of life which can be traced back for so many millions of years that the mind cannot comprehend them. As we have already seen, the reason this life can be traced so far back is because the fossil bones of many animals which lived in those days are found buried in rocks. And today other rocks are being formed all over the world through the action of the water on mud and sand and shells, and the bones of creatures familiar to us are being changed into fossils within these rocks. Perhaps millions of years from now, men, women, and children will gaze with astonishment upon these fossils, just as we now look in wonder and in awe upon the skeletons of the mighty animals which lived before man. End of chapter 9 End of Mighty Animals by Jenny Irene Mix